Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Monday, November 5th, 2023, and it's been a while. I was looking at the dates. It was the end of August when... uh, we had issues here at the studio, and we have been off the air since then. I'll uh, talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes, but it's good to be back. Uh, uh, although I have enjoyed sleeping in, I will admit that. <laughs> uh, now, now I have a 6 o'clock alarm again. I, I was having a 7 o'clock alarm for the last couple of months, but uh, I'll get back used to getting up early and, and doing the podcast Monday through Friday. This is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble, and then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. I urge you to head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.com and check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. So what do we got coming up for today? We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And it's Monday, so we have Monday meanderings. Um, I have not saved up two months of Monday meanderings, three months. Yeah. So, we had, well, two months, September and October. It was the end of August. So, September and October. It's first, it's November 6th today. So, I got to get back into the, the habit of this. <laughs> I didn't save up uh, two months of Monday meanderings. We're going to uh, launch into current events. And uh, I, I, if there's anything that happened a month ago, I'll probably not be talking about it uh, unless it comes back up in the news and current events. There's a lot going on right now we need to talk about. And sadly, what happened a month or six weeks ago has dropped off the radar. Um, not that we're going to ignore everything, but uh, just just a matter of, of living in this modern world with this 24-hour news cycle. It's keeping up with everything. All right. Well, let's begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those that confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now our reading from Daily Readings in the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. And uh, as I said, this is a 365-day devotional. We only meet together Monday through Friday, so we're only meeting five days a week. And it's been a couple of months since we met. So this is actually, and I don't believe I actually started at the beginning of the year. I think we started this a couple of months into the year. So we are actually reading the devotional today, which is the devotional for May 5th. I'm just going to keep doing them in order, and uh, we'll, we'll deal with that. All right. Today's devotional is entitled, What's Wrong with False Giving? And if you recall, he has been going through the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and all of that. So the verse today is Matthew 6, 2. When you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Matthew 6, 2. Dr. MacArthur writes, Giving to the poor literally means any act of mercy, but it came to mean more specifically the giving of money or goods to the needy. Jesus did not say if, but when, concerning our giving. In other words, he expects us to do so. But just as sympathy for the needy does not help them unless something is actually done toward their need, so giving money provides no spiritual blessing unless done from the heart. Those who, like the Pharisees, give to impress others with their piety and generosity will receive no further reward. When we give with this false motive, we receive back only what people can give. We thereby forfeit God's blessings. Many times, of course, the pretense people use to draw attention to or to make an impression with their giving is not so obvious. They know, especially if they profess to follow Christ, that other Christians will resent ostentatiousness. So they seek to make their giving accidentally noticed. But by strategy designed to draw attention but any strategy designed to draw attention is still a basic form of trumpet-blowing hypocrisy, which can appear in various forms. Whenever we make a point of doing our giving publicly to be noticed, rather than doing it privately simply for God's reward, we behave more like the hypocrites of Jesus' day, not like his children. Ask yourself, what are some of the ways that giving can be done for personal recognition, even within the decorum of outward humility? How does one guard against this need for acknowledgement? What are we forgetting when we're tempted to crave the credit for every dollar we share with others? Uh, just as my own personal aside, this does not mean you shouldn't report your charitable giving on your taxes and don't render unto Caesar any more than you have to render under Caesar. Just, just my own personal thing there. All right. It is Monday. It's Monday Meanderings. 
So my first word to you is put surge protectors on your Ethernet cables. Everything in my office is on surge protectors. The, the, there's a surge protector on the shelf behind me, which for the power, power system that goes to the modem, and there's a surge protector on the power system for my computer, monitor, camera, all of that stuff. So I've got a big surge protector over here, and I've got a big surge protector behind me with all of the sensitive electronics plugged into it for power. What I didn't have, but now do, is a surge protector on the DSL line as it comes into the modem and a surge protector on the Ethernet cable as it leaves the modem and an additional surge protector on the Ethernet cable as it enters my PC. <laughs> Back in August, we had a thunderstorm and it was nothing nothing major. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't really a bad storm or anything like that. But, you know, late summer thunderstorm. Mrs. Squirrel and I were in the living room watching a, a DVD. And we had, because, I mean, it, in the summer, it doesn't get dark until late. And, you know, so the sun was shining outside or it was bright outside. The sun wasn't shining because it was raining. But we had all the curtains drawn in the living room to keep the glare off the TV screen because we were watching a movie together. And it was just after dinner time. We'd, we'd fixed dinner, we'd put in a movie, we'd sat there eating dinner in front of the TV, just enjoying a pleasant evening. And we're hearing thunder in the distance. Well, I said, now the curtains were drawn. There was a flash that even through the drawn curtains, it looked like somebody was firing up an arc welder in the room. It was bright. Just, a, just an instant, just a single flash. Immediately followed by a loud crashing boom. The house was not hit. It, it, it happened somewhere quick. DVD player and the TV never even hiccuped. Everything just went fine. But after, you know, and we thought everything, oh, that was, that was close, you know, and nobody thought anything of it. We finished our movie, and I came back into my office, and my computer wasn't working. And it was, the computer had been on. I had left it on, which I don't normally do, but the computer had been on. Um, I was in the middle of something when I, went to cook dinner and so the computer had been on but not only was the computer not working we had no wi-fi we had no internet at all so i realized that i had a fried modem and so i the, the modem and everything belongs to our isp so the next day, I took the modem and the router and went into Missoula and exchanged them for new ones. Um, came back out, hooked it all up. Nothing. 
could not get the DSL to work at all. So I had to call them. They ended up having to rewire the house. <laughs> they had to run a new phone line from the box outside to my office to plug into the router, to the DSL. So um, it came through the phone line. The electrical was all protected, but the power surge came through the phone line. It fried the modem, and the modem and the router are separate. So the modem's on a, on a shelf uh, below me, and then the router is up on top of one of the bookcases. Excuse me, so the Wi-Fi will go through the house. Um, and so it, it went, it fried the modem, came in through the phone line, fried the modem, went through the Ethernet cable up to the router, fried the router, and then through the Ethernet cable around the room to the computer and fried my motherboard. Yes, not happy. So took a couple of weeks to get a new computer. Um, took a few days to get the wiring all done. And I took advantage of the fact that the computer was down to gut my office. <laughs> As you can see, these are new shelves behind me. I'm not done yet. I've got wall coverings that are going to go behind the shelves so you don't have that big white wall. There's a This shelf is actually displaced to the left about a foot from where it is supposed to be because I still had to get to, I'm still plugging things into the back of the computer that that shelf will slide over to the right about a foot and there's going to there's another bookcase that's going to go between this shelf and the window so I've got a new bookcase behind me I've got this Darby's cage is now over here uh, Fiona is still here on camera but she's hidden by the microphone today um so I took advantage of you know everything I've had to tear everything out to the bookcase that's right behind me, the one you can see, that the phone line comes into the house behind that bookcase. So that bookcase had to be emptied and moved so the phone guy could get it. So I already had the office torn up. So it was like, I'm, I've been wanting to do some stuff for a while. So I decided to take advantage of that and, and gut the office, etc. So making some changes in here so I get more more uh, um, shelf space, etc. And then just trying to get, you have no idea when you're setting up a computer, all the little software that you use all the time and you're like, I need to get that in. So I finally got everything. I, I, I set my day for, you know, last Monday, a week ago, we were supposed to start back up. And the last thing to hook up was the camera and the soundboard. Soundboard worked great. No problem there at all. Got not, no problem with the soundboard. Uh, my Zoom P8 is working just fine. But my camera, I, I cannot get the camera software to run. And so this is a, a Lumina webcam, 4K webcam with like really good software that lets me customize stuff and, and, you know, work on the exposure levels and, and stuff like that. If you noticed looking at the, 
the picture. We do not have the the normal crisp picture and good lighting effects. This is I'm I'm looking a little overexposed and washed out because this is just the standard soft uh, the the Windows software adjustment of the lighting and everything because I'm not able to to tweak all that. I'm not able to get into the custom controls. I'm not able to get into the proper zooms and stuff. I actually have the camera zoomed in and positioned using OBS, not using the, the camera software. And so it's, it's frustrating. I've been on, uh, I've been exchanging emails with Lumina's customer service. And if we can't get this to work, I'm probably going to have to to find a different webcam. Um, I've been using this Lumina webcam for a, for a couple of years. I mean, it's a great webcam, and and the software is great. Um, but boy, it just for some reason it the the software won't even start. So I don't know what to do. Um, hopefully they'll be able to help me, and we'll be able to get that figured out. Or I'll get another webcam in here. So, um, I mean, there are other options. So I, I can I can change some things around, but uh, but I I want to keep with the 4K webcam and everything. And and I'm noticing just looking at the monitor here. Excuse me. I'm noticing looking at the monitor that it, it's kind of jumpy. There's a little bit of a delay. Um, it's not as smooth as I'm used to seeing as far as um, the processing and everything. And this is a faster computer, so it's not my software. It, it's the fact that I don't have the camera software up and running. So this is a camera I've been very happy with. It's got some nice features that I really like um, for a webcam, but it's not working right now like it should be. And like I said, hopefully we'll get that fixed. But my advice to you is not only have search protectors on your power setup, have search protectors on your phone and ethernet. It's important. It's important. Uh, I never would have thought about it. Um, and talking to my UPS guy, when he delivered the computer and we were talking about why I was getting a new computer. <laughs> and uh, he's, he, he, we, we know our UPS guy. We're friendly with him, you know. So we were, we were chatting on the porch when he brought the new computer, and, uh, which is a gorgeous Falconware Talon. I've wanted a Falconware computer for a long, long time. Um, yeah, so if, you're, if you ever wondered what top-of-the-line computer is, Falconware's where to go. Now you pay for it. Um, luckily, I had some insurance <laughs> that helped me. Um, because, I mean, the computer it replaced was a good... I had an Alienware R11 that was only three, four years old. That was, you know, a great computer. But uh, and when I contacted Alienware to get a new computer, it was going to be two months before I got the computer. Um, Falconware built me a new system in two weeks. Uh, those guys over in Medford, Oregon. Now, if we could just get them to, to Kofi's church over there, that would be great. Um, but yeah, they make a good computer. 
So I've been very pleased with that. But we are we are back. We are up and running. Like I said, everything's not perfect yet. I could have come back at the level we're at now last week, but I wanted to try to get everything to work, and it's just not playing nice. <laughs> so since it's not playing nice, we're going to uh, just go with what we've got for now because I didn't want to delay the return of Squirrel Chatter any longer. So we are back a week later than we had originally planned. We've still got issues, but we're back. Um, and it's good to be back. I've missed meeting with you every morning um, to go through the scriptures and the daily events and everything. So, All right, what's going on in the world? Oh, man, a lot of stuff has happened in the last couple of months. The biggest thing is the Israel attacks. Tomorrow marks one month since the latest round of terrorist attacks in Israel began. The, the, the October 7th attacks by Hamas, um, the, the targeting civilians, uh, the, I mean, they were the, you know, killing whole families, men, women, and children, you know, rape, murder, beheadings, and then they took a bunch of hostages. Um, just an entirely, entirely barbaric, brutal, horrible attack. Um, I'm still, like most everybody, stunned when I think about it. It's it's just a not not a not something you you know. I guess it should be something we expect. We you know I'm. Many of you are not old enough to remember September 11th, which is weird to be saying, but, I mean, you know, that was 22 years ago. Um, and so if you were much younger than 10, it's probably not a big memory for you. Um, so, you know, everybody from 30 on down is probably, you know, it's a vague, vague memory for the oldest of you and... and not much at all for the youngest of you. And, and of course, many, I mean, all the, I don't think there's a college kid. I guess the, the oldest, oldest college kids, traditional college kids, I'm not talking about people in their 40s and 50s who have gone back to school, but your traditional college kids, you know, go, to, go through high school, graduate high school, 17, 18, graduating college, 22, 23. So, you know, they were the oldest college students would have been one one years old when September 11th happened. Um, and so we've we've forgotten. We've forgotten as a nation. We've kind of put it behind us. We, you know, I think vigilance dropped. Um, this current administration is certainly not the most vigilant. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, National Security Conscious Administration that I've ever seen um, by any means. This is this is just a sad, sad time. But tomorrow marks one month, as I said, since those terrorist attacks began, and Israel has um, been retaliating, and and retaliation is a. That's a word I'm not sure 
is the proper word to use here. They are responding, but retaliation carries a connotation of get back atomism, kind of a revenge thing. And I don't think that's the the motive behind the nation of Israel's reaction to all of this. Um, I think the military action that Israel is taking, while it certainly has punitive, you know, elements to it, is much more in line with defending the nation and defeating an enemy. This is the great movie, 1989, Roadhouse, Patrick Swayze. He, he plays the head bouncer at a nightclub. Um, but it's a country nightclub. And there's, I mean, it's, you know, he's, he's up against criminal corruption. And it's a typical 80s action movie. Um, you know, where the hero is the bar bouncer. But uh, it's a great movie. Fun, fun, fun movie. But the thing, he has a line in there. He's, he's instructing his staff. And some of the bouncers in the, the roadhouse just were trying to intimidate everybody all the time and just kind of being jerks. And so he made a comment to him, you know, instruction. And he said, no, no, don't act like that. Be nice. Be nice until it's time to not be nice. Be nice until it's time to act to, you know, quell a problem in the bar, you know, kick somebody out, protect somebody, for, you know, whatever, whatever might be happening. And I think that's where we are, and that's certainly where Israel is, but it's time to not be nice. All of these calls for a ceasefire or a pause? No. Now, I'm not precluding any humanitarian aid getting to people who need it, but we don't need to halt hostilities for that. Um, nor should we. The the, the the it's time to not be nice in Gaza. The the terrorist infrastructure has to be demolished. Um, the leadership has to be killed, and as many individual terrorist Hamas members as possible need to be killed. Um, one of the things I've learned from all this that I, I didn't, didn't realize until this started was that, you know, I knew that Hamas was the elected government of Gaza, the Palestinian territories, um, which gives the lie to the whole, oh, this is occupied territory, this is the Israeli occupation. Gaza has been self-ruling for over a decade. Um, this is not, you know, an area under occupation. This is an area that has been self-governing, well, at least Hamas had one election <laughs> 10 years ago, 
they got elected and they haven't held another one. They got into power and they stayed there and they're not allowing anybody in Hamas or anybody in Gaza to challenge that. But they've been in power for 10 years. This is a self-governing place. Not only is it a self-governing area, so it's not under Israeli occupation, uh, you know, occupied land. No, it's not under Israeli occupation. It's self-governing. And it has received millions, if not billions, in foreign aid, you know, support. They talk about, you know, when you, when you think, you know, I talk about the Palestinian refugees that live there. And the reason they're calling them refugees is, is they're the descendants of refugees from attacks on Israel in the 40s and 50s, where Israel was attacked. Israel was def defended itself. The attackers fled the combat area and became refugees. And they talk about, you know, the, the living in the camps. These are cities with buildings. They're not camps. You, know, you picture a, a bunch of FEMA trailers or army tents set up in the desert where these refugees are encamped. That's not the situation. We're dealing with, you know, in all, all uh, practical purposes, a modern uh, urban area. Now, it's not as technologically advanced as, you know, Tokyo, but, you know, they've got buildings and hospitals and roads and stuff. But Hamas has for years, and, and we're learning the extent of it as Israel is going in, but for years they have taken all this foreign aid money and instead of spending it to improve the economy and better the lives of the Palestinian people, they have used it to build a vast network of fortified tunnels under Gaza where they can manufacture, store, and transport weaponry and, and hide fighters, etc. So they have done that they've they've purchased weapons they're supported by iran this this whole attack that has recently happened has you know this was all um you know all planned for a long time and this needs to lead to the end of hamas and so in my personal opinion israel should not back off or slow down until they have wiped out Hamas. But as I was saying, the thing that I learned once all this started was the, the actual elected leaders, quote unquote elected, I said one, one election 10 years ago, the actual leaders of Hamas live in luxury in penthouse suites in Qatar. <laughs> they, they don't live in Hamas. <laughs> They're not in Gaza City, or they don't live in Gaza. They're not in Gaza City. They're 
hundreds of miles away in, in living in luxury, living in luxury funded by the humanitarian aid that's been sent to Gaza. And what, what was it that President Biden just promised to send another $100 million to Gaza? You know, well, that's going straight to Hamas. The government of Gaza is the terrorist organization that perpetrated these latest attacks. It's horrible. And now all these calls to, you know, um, cause a ceasefire and stuff. Let's just think about some things real quick. Hamas targeted civilians. These attacks were not military targets. Now, first off, they had a peace agreement. You know, there was a ceasefire in place. So they had they had promised not to attack. So they broke broke a ceasefire. And as 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 I think it was Speaker of the House Mike Johnson said, um, the ceasefire, you know, there was a ceasefire. It was broken by Hamas. So the calls for a ceasefire are kind of silly. Um, they broke a ceasefire. They are attacking civilians. That's the target. The civilians that die in these attacks are not collateral damage. They're the target. That's who Hamas wants to kill. They're killing, you know, they were going house to house and room to room in the houses, killing families, men, women, and children. Um, you know, paragliding into a music festival to kill a bunch of people, you know, enjoying a, a concert. Um, it's just, it's despicable. They're targeting civilians. They also use civilians as human shields. They've taken hundreds of hostages from Israel, from the attack, back over the border into Gaza. And they are positioned in, they're being kept in these tunnels, this tunnel network. And they are, they are there and, and they're being horribly mistreated. You know it. Um, just, the, the, you know, so much about what we know about the attack, we know from captured body camera footage, body cameras that were carried by the terrorists because they wanted records of what they were doing. So a lot of the videos of the rape and the murder and stuff, and there's a, there's a website that has actually been put out, I believe, by the Israeli government so that people can see for themselves what these animals did. Um, there is this website put out out there that has all this footage on it. I, I haven't watched it. I don't want to watch it. Um, I understand why it's out there because there were a lot of people saying, oh, this didn't happen, that didn't happen. They didn't do that. You're lying. You're making them look bad. Which really gets to me because, you know, the which 
I, I think back on years and years and years of Palestinian propaganda. Things that were put out by the Palestinians um, over the years about, you know, Israeli atrocities and everything. And I remember seeing some of the video of, you know, bodies laid out in the street and stuff. And then somebody got a hold of the raw footage. And at one point, somebody yelled, cut. And all the dead bodies got up <laughs> because they weren't dead bodies. It was all staged. Um, there have been, you know, uh, it's just, the you know, videos of ambulance after ambulance pulling up to an emergency room. And then you find out it's the same ambulance going around the block. Just so he's going around picking up fake injuries so they can pull up and unload fake injuries. These are not people that were hurt <laughs> in some sort of attack. It's all propaganda. So we have the Palestinians who have been known to be dishonest for decades. And yet people immediately buy whatever they say. Oh, Israel bombed our hospital and killed you know, what, eight, nine hundred, a thousand, whatever they said. Um, and then it turns out and, and is rapidly known that this was a misfired terrorist rocket from Gaza that was shot into Israel that misfired and landed in the parking lot of the hospital, killing a few dozen people in the parking lot. Didn't hit the building. Didn't level the hospital or anything like that. But these these numbers of deaths in Gaza that Hamas is putting out cannot be trusted. They cannot be believed. But we do know that Hamas uses human shields in violation of the Geneva Conventions. So there's a clear war crime going on, and that's the fact that Hamas intentionally positions their military assets in and amongst the civilian population, and that is strictly prohibited by the Geneva Convention. Um and I'm not sure that Hamas is signatory to the Geneva Convention. Um, and, and, and that's fine. They don't have to be. But there's no moral equivalency between Israel's attacks on Hamas and Hamas's attacks on Israel. There's no moral equivalency at all. Hamas is targeting civilians. Hamas wants to kill everyday people on the street. They want to kill people in their homes. They want to kill people in restaurants. When Israel attacks Hamas, they're targeting missile launch sites, weapons depots, training areas. But these are places that have been deliberately positioned by Hamas in and around civilian facilities so that you know, they have terrorist camps in basements of hospitals. 
And after warning after warning to the people of Gaza to get out of the war zone, Israel has started hitting these places. And so civilians are dying. But it's not because Israel is intentionally attacking civilians. It's because Hamas won't let the civilians leave the area of their military assets. That's the war crime. The war crime isn't Israel's retaliatory strikes against Hamas. The war crime is Hamas using intentionally human shields. And now these Israeli hostages um, are in these military, these terrorist tunnels. It's hard to call them a military. They're, they're terrorists. They're not in uniform. They're not walking around with, you know, Hamas patches on and, and uh, they're not subject to the Geneva Convention. They're, they're just terrorism itself is a war crime. So you have this, this terrorist attacks on civilians. That's a war crime. You have the intentional use of human shields. That's a war crime. Yeah, and yet people keep crying that Israel is committing war crimes. It's time to not be nice in Gaza. It's also time to not be nice on American college campuses. I am disgusted by what I have been seeing in the news with the pro-Palestinian demonstrations here in the United States. It's one thing, I mean, it's still disgusting, but it's one thing to see these take place in, you know, like Dearborn, Michigan, with a heavy Islamic population. And, and I remember seeing, you know, do you remember, those of you who are old enough, on September 11th, remember the attack in New York was in the morning, on September 11th, when the news of the attack on, on New York and, and uh, uh, the, the Pentagon and, and, you know, obviously the plane, Flight 93, that got taken down in Pennsylvania. When those attacks, the news of those attacks got out, they were dancing in the streets in Palestine, in Gaza, in the West Bank. You had these Palestinian Arabs celebrating the attack on the United States. And now we're seeing those same sorts of celebrations, not only, like I said, in heavily Islamic areas, places like um, Dearborn, Michigan, but we're seeing it on American college campuses, places like Harvard, Stanford. These are Marxist, anti-American, useful idiots. And I will tell you right now that there is not a single one of these college kids who is wearing a Palestinian flag t-shirt and, and yelling, you know, anti-Israel slogans on the college campuses across America, there's not a single one of those college kids who would enjoy living in Gaza or in Iran or in Lebanon or in Syria because 
it it they wouldn't they wouldn't want to live there. Um, one of the things was the the uh, there's a you know LGBTQ for Palestinians group, and an imam actually came out and said, you know, we don't want any of you guys here. You know, if you come over here, you'll be killed. And yet they, they don't get it. They don't get it. You know, I'm opposed to homosexuality. I think it's sinful and wrong. I'm not in favor of throwing homosexual homosexuals off the roofs of tall buildings. I'm not in favor of the death penalty for homosexuality. I'm in favor of calling upon them to repent and believe the gospel. Um, and warning them of the judgment to come. That's what the church's job is. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I oppose the death penalty for, for things like that. Now, there are things I'm perfectly in favor of the death penalty for, like rape. Um, I'd love to see, you know, the, the penalty for rape be a little bit more severe, up to and including the death penalty. But, you know, I don't call for the death penalty of homosexuals. Um, like I said, they, they need to repent. They shouldn't be teachers. They shouldn't be, you know, there, there are places they shouldn't, you know, there, there are certain jobs that, that, that it would be, you know, morally irresponsible to let them have. And these are jobs that many of them have today. Homosexuals shouldn't have ready access to children. That's it. They shouldn't be allowed to adopt. They shouldn't be allowed to work as school teachers. I am 100% in favor of, of having moral standards there which would preclude that. But I'm not calling for their execution. Islam does. So, you know, they, they would not be happy <laughs> living in these areas. The, these people that are, that are, you know, and, and most of the college students, like the women, you know, these, it's, it's like white women, young, young college age females that are, you know, chanting some of the most vile slogans and, and some of the most rabid, um, they, you know, they'd have no liberties at all. You know, I mean. It's, it's like they, they don't, you know, I, I don't know. Why do they not accept that, that Islam treats women as second-class citizens? You know, they, they decry Christian patriarchy, you know, the Western patriarchy that has oppressed women for centuries. Would you be honest for a minute? The only places in the world where women have rights, real civil rights, are the areas that have a historically Christian tradition. If you go to, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, you know, if you go to, um, you know, China, if you go to the Middle East, if you go to Asia, if you go to, to, to India, you're looking at places where women do not have the same kind of rights they have in the West. And 
in many cases, they have no rights at all. You know, so, you know, go have fun in Burma. Go have fun in Iraq. Go have fun in Afghanistan. Go have fun in Saudi Arabia. You know, these women would not like it at all. Um, and did I, did I recently read that Saudi Arabia is finally allowing women to drive? Was that, was that a recent thing? I'll have to look that up. I seem to recall reading that, that they finally allowed women to have driver's licenses in Saudi Arabia. Think about that. 2023. We've had cars for 120 years. Women are finally getting the right to drive, if I'm correct in that memory. It's just off the top of my head. So, yeah, when it comes to Palestinian terrorists and the attacks on Israel, it's time to not be nice. It's time to kill people and break things. It's time to destroy Hamas's ability to attack Israel. I mean, we need to destroy Hamas's ability to kick their dog, let alone attack Israel. And, and that includes killing the leadership and, and destroying their infrastructure and all of that. And will that be hard on the Palestinian people, the people that live in Gaza? Yeah. The civilians are going to have a tough time because of it. But you know what? World War II was hard on the civilians in France, Britain, Germany, Russia, you know, Italy, North Africa, China, Korea, Japan, South Pacific Islands. War is hard. You know, there's, there's, war is hell. <laughs> um, that was General Sherman, I believe. So, you know, war is not a pretty thing, but in a sinful world, it's often necessary. And it is just for Israel to destroy Hamas. And I think it's gone beyond just defeating them. They need to be destroyed. Their ability to wage terrorist attacks must be abolished. And all of those guilty of perpetrating these inhuman acts should be killed, hunted down and killed, like the animals they are. There's, there's, it's time to not be nice. It's time for no sympathy. It's time for no, no, no quarter, you know, no quarter, take them out. And, and that's, that's harsh, I admit, but it's the way things need to be. It, the, the end result will be a safer world, <laughs> at least for a time until the next group appoints itself as the, the killers of record, um, but it's just like, you know, the world was a safer place after Hitler was defeated and after 
Toto was defeated, or Tojo was defeated than it was prior. So, you know, the the effects of a war can be good for the general welfare of the world. And this is one of those wars where that needs to happen. Um, and honestly, this immediate desire to be nice <laughs> is why we failed in Iraq and Afghanistan. We, we tried to be nice about it when we needed to just kick butt and take names and defeat the enemy. There was, there was too much, you know, velvet glove and not enough iron fist. Once the fighting starts, fight to win. And, and that's something that, you know, I said, even, even going back to Iran and Afghanistan, we never did, we didn't do, we went so far and then we stopped. You know, in Iraq, we toppled Saddam Hussein, and then the the recent history of Iraq, and by recent, I mean since the rise of Saddam Hussein and the Iraq-Iran war and everything that had taken place in Iraq um, it, but prior to the American invasion in, what was 2003? Prior to the American invasion and the toppling of Iraq. The, the history of Iraq in that period amply demonstrated that they were not capable of self-government. So, yeah, taking over the country and establishing, you know, an occupation and an occupation government and not turning the country back over to the Iraqi people, until we were convinced they were ready to govern themselves as peaceful, responsible members of the international community was a mistake. You know, after World War II, the Allies governed Japan for decades. I mean, the the 50s and 60s. I, I'm trying to think when... when uh, you know, it's over, over, almost 20 years that the Allies governed Japan after World War II. And during that time, you know, they learned how to govern themselves. After World War II, the Allies governed Germany for, you know, close to 10 years. Before, you know, because, you know, they were there to ensure that this wasn't going to happen again. And the people were going to get a handle on it and, and govern themselves responsibly. We didn't do that in Iraq. We were immediately trying to get them to be self-governing. Remember the, the first election and the purple fingers because you had to dip your to, you know, one person, one vote. <laughs> you had to dip your finger in the purple ink to make to show that you had voted. And if you had the purple ink on your finger, you couldn't vote again. It was probably a more secure election than 2020, to be sure. Um, you know, but that was that was way too soon. They weren't ready for that. And and we're we're seeing that now. I mean, Iraq has not 
risen to the height. I mean, Iraq, this is the thing. I look at these countries and, you know, if they were just freedom and liberty and a free enterprise capitalist system, these countries should be profitable. These countries should be prosperous. Um, I look at, you know, I would have been more than happy to buy, you know, you look at Japan post-World War II. The industrial and technical powerhouse that Japan came became. I'd have been happy to buy Iraqi-made TVs and Afghani-made cars if they'd done it right. You know, <laughs> I mean... You know, the, come come become industrial nations, compete with the rest of the world, raise the standard of living for the people in your nation. You know, same thing with Gaza. Gaza has what is reported to be the best beach in the world. There is a beach on the Gaza Strip on the, the Mediterranean Sea that is supposed to be the finest beach in the world. You know, it should be a vacation paradise. And yet, you know, they're, they're barely above third world station. And the reason they're barely above third world station is they would rather spend all their money and all their effort and all their time planning ways to kill Israeli civilians than they would actually, you know, making things and being prosperous and, and doing things that would prosper the nation. Um, it, it, before the Islamic takeover of Lebanon, you know, you go back to the, the 60s and 70s and the 50s, 60s and 70s, you know, Beirut, Lebanon rivaled Paris, France as considered one of the most cultured cities in the world. And we don't think of Beirut in those terms now. We think of a, you know, third world hellhole with terrorist gangs running rampant in the streets. You know, we think of the 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 Beirut barracks bombing and all the Marines were killed. And and now Hezbollah, which is the Iranian backed terrorist group in Lebanon, is also threatening Israel. All right. So that's things going. It's time to not be nice in in, in Gaza. Now let, let's think a little bit more about our domestic politics. We're going to go a little bit long today. It's been it's been a couple of months. I got a lot of stuff pent up. We're going long. Think back to um, back to domestic politics for a minute. Joe Biden immediately came out in support of Israel after the October 7th attacks. And I think rightfully so. But almost immediately, the, the backpedaling began and the, the hedging began and the calls for a ceasefire began and the calls for measured response began and all of this. And we also see, you know, Democrat politicians like, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, who are spouting the Hamas narrative and, and repeating Hamas propaganda, um, 
Talib still hasn't admitted that uh, that was actually a Hamas rocket or a terrorist rocket that hit the hospital parking lot. She's still claiming it was an Israeli attack that killed hundreds. So, you know, these are useful idiots for the left, Marxist useful idiots. But I look at the, you know, I look at Tlaib and I look at Omar, these elected congressional representatives in the United States Congress. And I mean, Ilian Omar's from uh, Minneapolis. Well, she's not from Minneapolis, she's from Somalia, but she's a Minnesota representative to the Congress of the United States. And I look at these people and I think, you know, it goes back to the point I was making before about the only places that women have rights are the places that have traditional uh, Christian worldviews. Um, you look at these women and you think, there is no way they would have any political power in Palestine or in Somalia. I'm not, I'm not sure where Talib is from. I know Omar's from Somalia. But, you know, what are you going to do? There's no way they would have any kind of power. I mean, gosh, Ilian Omar married her brother so that she could get out of Somalia and into the United States. Think about that. Somalia was so bad that she took drastic steps to escape it, to come here, because America is so bad and evil, or because it's a whole lot better here than it is in Somalia. And, and so these demonstrations and stuff that are anti-American the the it's it's caused Biden's support his support for Israel caused a drop in his support by Democrats <laughs> that ought to tell you something his support was already low it's lower still and so the question comes up is Joe Biden going to run in 2024 Will Joe Biden seek re-election to the presidency? Democrats now are openly talking about alternatives. Now, I'm, I'm sure the backroom chatter, chattel, the, the, the back channel chatter has been ongoing for a while as to the, the, is the, uh, Yeah, the, the replacement of Joe Biden on the ballot. That, I'm sure it's been talked about, but it hasn't been talked about publicly. But now, suddenly, you're getting Democrat strategists and, and Democrat politicians um, who are talking about, you know, Joe Biden ought to step, step aside. And the thing is, they, they're not, they don't want Joe Biden to resign because they don't want Kamala Harris as president of the United States. Even the Dems don't want her. She's less popular than Biden. 
they don't want her in there. So they want him to stay in office through the election, but they don't want him to run again. They want him to step aside, let somebody else step in. Um, most likely candidate. There's two people that I keep hearing mentioned. Gavin Newsom, governor of California. Uh, he's a piece of work. And Michelle Obama. Those are the two names that I keep hearing get put forth. Um, be interesting to see what happens. Um, you've already got uh, some guy I've never even heard of has entered the race opposing Biden as a uh, independent or as a as a Democrat running against him in the primary. You had Robert Kennedy Jr. running against him in the primary, but he is I think he's now declared as an independent candidate. So he's running independent from the Democrat Party. Um, so, you know, how is this going to work? Don't know what's going to happen. Um, I'm thinking sometime January or February, I would not be surprised to see an announcement that due to health reasons, due to age, they're going to make, you know, it's it's going to be a, you know, Biden will make an announcement that, that he just doesn't, for this or that reason, um, the reasons put forth won't be the fact that his support's in the toilet. <laughs> the reasons put forth will be, you know, health or whatever. Um, but but sometime in the next few months, I, I think Biden will announce that he's not running. And that's going to throw the field wide open. Um, and so, you know, look for really a Democrat free-for-all. It's going to be... It's going to be something to watch. So we're keeping an eye on that. And then finally, sad news. Um, astronaut Ken Mattingly died last week at the age of 87. Died on Tuesday. Um, so a week ago tomorrow. He was a NASA astronaut. He's uh, probably best known from Apollo 13. Um, where he was played by Gary Sinise. He was the command module pilot of Apollo 13 who got grounded shortly before the mission because um, he had been exposed to the German measles. And he had never had the measles. And... NASA was looking at the uh, um, incubation period of measles and stuff like that. And they thought, you know, if he got the measles, it would be during the flight. And so they didn't want him on the flight for that reason. And so he got pulled off Apollo 13. He was repla replaced by the backup command module pilot, which was uh, Jack Swaggart. And who was played by Kevin Bacon in the movie. Um, Apollo 13 is one of my absolute favorite movies, by the way. Very well done. Um, pretty accurate to what happened. Um, some Hollywood licenses, but fewer than most. Um, one of the things is watching the... Uh, uh, I've got the Blu-ray uh, with... Uh, 
commentary, one of the commenters is uh, Jim Lovell, who was, of course, the commander of Apollo 13. And he made a, he was making comments during the movie. And one of the things that he said, there's a, there's a scene in the movie where there's a, you know, argument among the astronauts in the capsule. Um, and, you know, Jim, Jim Lovell said in that interview, that never happened. You know, that everybody, they were all test pilots. They were all, you know, they had the worse things got, the calmer they got. It's a, it's a, a weird thing. There's a, you know, firemen, uh, first responders, pilots. There's a, there's a, the worse things get, the calmer they seem to be as they deal with it. Um, and they may, you know, go into quivering, uh, quivering lumps of panic after it's all over. But in the midst of it, there's a focus and everything. So he said that that never happened. And, and he mentioned to Ron Howard, you know, we never had any kind of arguments or temper tantrums or anything like that in the capsule. And, and Ron Howard said, yeah, I know that, but you guys were under a lot of stress and we need to convey to the audience, the stress level. And the only way you can do that in film is by having visual expressions of stress. And so this argument temper tantrum scene was put into the movie. And, uh, but Jim Lovell said that never happened. But of course, Ken Mattingly never got the measles. He was, he was grounded. Um, he ended up flying, uh, was it Apollo 16? as command module pilot. So he did get his mission. Apollo 16, of course, did land on the moon. Um, so he did get to fly Apollo. And then he also was one of the chief test pilots at the start of the shuttle program and, and flew a couple of shuttle missions. Um, when I was looking through the obituaries and stuff yesterday, I saw a picture of him and another pilot, another astronaut, um, at Edwards Air Force Base on the ground, still in their flight suits right after a shuttle landing meeting with President and Mrs. Reagan on the, on the tarmac, you know, so it's, it's, uh, that was, a uh, one of the early space shuttle flights. So he ended up, he went up twice in the shuttle. He went up in, uh, in, uh, like I said, Apollo 16. I'm not sure if he was a Gemini astronaut or not. Did he fly in Gemini? I'd have to go back and look. But anyway, he passed away this week, age 87. Um, one sad thing in reading through the, the obituaries, and of course the only, the only obituary I read all the way through was the APs. Um, I couldn't find a local obituary. Um, so everything is, you know, official statements and big news agency stuff, which is typical when somebody famous dies. But there was absolutely no mention in anything I read, and I looked, of any kind of faith in Jesus Christ or religious beliefs at all. And that's sad. Because, 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And even the best of men are vile sinners in need of redemption. I don't know where Ken Mattingly will spend eternity, but I do know if you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in heaven with him. And so I would urge you to repent and believe the gospel. Um, but yeah, Ken Mattingly passed away. I'm, I'm, I'm watching. There's very few Apollo astronauts left. Um, I'm not sure even, you know, we had, what, uh, 13 didn't land. So there were six missions that landed on the moon. 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And of those six missions, you had 12 guys who walked on the moon. How many of those 12 guys are left? Um, I know Buzz Aldrin's still alive. Um, but I'd have to, I'd, I'd seriously have to look to see who else is around. Um, I know Gene Cernan passed away. Um, of course, Neil Armstrong's been gone for a while. So it's a, it's a, there's a great documentary. I'm trying to think where it was. Um, I saw it on an online streaming service. So it could have been Netflix, could be Prime. I don't know. I'd have to search for it. It's uh, The Last Man on the Moon. And it is a documentary about Gene Cernan and Apollo 17. And uh, that's a real interesting Interesting thing, because Gene Cernan was the last man on the moon, because he was, he and his lunar module pilot were the last two people on the moon, and because of the way the situation was, it actually had to do with the direction the door opened, who would enter the cabin last and who would exit the cabin first, would be the 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 commander, and the pilot would have to, because he would have to. The pilot would be blocked by the door while the commander exited, and then the pilot would have to partially close the door, step around it, open it again, and then the pilot could, could exit. And so that's why, I mean, that was really the reason why Neil Armstrong was the first on the moon as opposed to Buzz Aldrin. Um, and the fact that as the commander, he should have had that honor. But the the... The positioning of the door made a big difference in the lunar module. And so because of that, Gene Cernan climbed the ladder last up into the lunar module. So he was quite literally since, I think that was 73, <laughs> um, 72 or 73, he's the last man on the moon. So that's, that's just a... So this, you know, until we get there again, I know they're talking about it and there's test flights and stuff, but until we land again, I mean, it's, I think probably be Chinese next. Although Russians just had a probe crash, I think. They had, they were trying to soft land a probe on the moon and it crashed. I'm not sure. I can't, it's, you know, space and space history and space technology is one of my passions. So it's something that I'm paying attention to, but, uh, 
I'm by no means an expert, and I don't remember every news story out there about it, but that's one of the things that's going on. All right. We've been going here for an hour and 15 minutes, so we should probably wrap this up. Let us now recite together our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the colic for the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, as we live among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Now the colic for the renewal of life. O God, the King Eternal, whose light divides the day from the night and turns the shadow of death into the morning. Drive far from us all wrong desires. Incline our hearts to keep your law and guide our feet into the way of peace, that having done your will with cheerfulness during the day, we may, when night comes, rejoice to give you thanks through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the colic for the unrepentant. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for today, the sixth day of November, 2023. It's great to be back. I, I have missed being with you in these little uh, morning get-togethers and, and having a cup of coffee with you and talking things over. We are resuming our regular schedule of events. So we will be doing our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday will be Theology Thursday. Friday will be Federalist Friday, and we're just going to jump right back in where we left off, um, with the exception that I think I'm going to do kind of a review on Deuteronomy of where we were, get us back up to speed, and then next week we'll pick up with, with new study. Um, but uh, on Thursday, we're going to be right back in the, the 1689, and then Friday, we're back in the Federalist Papers. And that's just 
the way things are. It's good to be back. So whatever you do, do it to the glory of the Lord. Have a great day. And that's the wrong button. I hit the wrong button. That's the wrong sound. I'll turn that off until it quits playing. And I'll just keep kind of talking till that light quits flashing. And I can play the outro instead of the intro. See, I'm out of practice. <laughs> uh, out of practice. Actually, I had a bundle of nerves this morning. Which is unusual for me. I, I, I know a lot of people watch and a lot of people listen but I, I always feel like I'm talking to you, not like I'm talking to a crowd. But uh, today I was getting a little nervous <laughs> as we're coming back to Squirrel Chatter. Um, I think the nerves were more about, will everything work? <laughs> but it did. All right. Have a great Monday. And I hit the wrong button again. Oh, I am just, I hit the right button, but I still had the channel muted, so you can't hear it. So it's its playing now. This is the outro that you you normally hear as I'm leaving, and you're about to hear live. This is live podcasting, folks. Things happen, especially when your host is out of practice. <laughs> but we'll get back into the groove of things. We will get back into the groove of things. Have a great Monday. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. I'll see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.